Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. If you have a Bible, would you open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24? Um, We're in our second week talking about this big theological word called sanctification. Um, 1 Thessalonians is right before 2 Thessalonians, if you needed help finding it. That was a joke. I know it wasn't much help. That was was funny. It's on page 1056 in my Bible, so also not helpful. Anyway, you can Google it, look it up in a Bible app, pull it up in your, in your physical Bible. We're talking about this big theological word, sanctification. Um, and and I, I, a few different people in our community here have sensed like this is something that God really wants us to talk about and think on and spend some time studying as a church community. Um, it's a, very, a set of various things that came together to bring this. And I just sense like God is really doing something in this. But what we've been doing is we've been reflecting on this passage and talking about what does it mean to be sanctified? What is sanctification? And basically we're thinking about it like this is basically sanctification in our modern terms is God's vision, God's plan for fulfillment in your life. Now, it doesn't look like your definition of fulfillment, perhaps, or my definition. Uh, It might include some aspects of it, but man, is it good. And we've been looking at this passage, and last week, we talked about the God of sanctification. If we're going to talk about this idea, we need to start with where uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 starts. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So we talked about the God who does the sanctifying work last week. Who is this God? And now this week we're going to talk about this idea of sanctification, the one that that we are being sanctified completely and totally. Let me just read this verse in its entirety. It says, May the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. And today, um, what I want to do with the time that we have is is I want to help us understand our need for sanctification. This isn't just a a big, fancy word that theologians throw around. I, I want you to see this morning, and I hope I can help you see this morning, that this really matters for your life, especially if you want to choose to follow Jesus. So let's pray, and and we'll jump into this. Holy Spirit, I pray, as as, um, Lindsay said this morning, that, that we would be attentive to your presence with us and among us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would not resist you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, how many of you like doing crafts or you did when you were kids or you have children that like to do crafts, craft people? I've got some craft people. Okay, I may offend most of you then. Um, so my kids love doing crafts. 
my daughter, my five-year-old, Harper especially, loves a good craft. Coloring, gluing, painting, pipe cleaners, pom-poms, little popsicle sticks that she turns into things. She's, she's always got a vision for something. It's re really incredible what she kind of comes up with in her mind or makes or creates on her own. Uh, for her birthday, uh, all she wanted me to do was take her to an art store, like a craft supply store, and she just picked out like different color popsicle sticks and little beads, and she just like was going to do stuff with all of them. And it was like, great, let, let's go do it. Um, so she's always got a craft going on. Um, and and a, try and be as like, you know, accommodating with her craft ideas as possible. But there is one thing that I don't want her asking for. You know it. <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. When, when I, Jillian's already tired of hearing this, this analogy that I'm about to make here with glitter, but I think it just speaks to how much I hate glitter. <laughs> it gets everywhere. Can, we, can I get on my soapbox for a minute and talk about how intrusive glitter is into life? You use the tiniest little bit of glitter. You manage it as best you can. You make sure I'm only going to use it in these specific parameters. And then you find it in the bathroom somehow weeks later. We, we got them... Um, these like little butterfly wings and we took the butterfly wings out of the, the wrapping and stuff. And we're like, we got you to like wear them on their back kind of thing. But we realized these butterfly wings are like covered. They're like glittery butterfly wings and the glitter doesn't stay on the butterfly wings. It's everywhere in my house. Glitter is the worst. No matter how much you clean it, manage it, whatever rules you use around it, hide it, glitter will find you. And it will find every nook and cranny of your home, whether you used it. You still have glitter. Yeah, I'm saying it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. It's everywhere. And it is pervasive. There's really nothing you or I can do to get rid of it. So this is where I offend all of you craft project people that like to use glitter. Glitter is a great way of thinking about sin in our lives. Everyone that's like uh, anti-glitter is like, yes, it's the best thing you've ever said, Andrew. Uh, this is why sin is pervasive. You can manage it. You can try your best to keep it contained to certain things. In your life. It, it just covers everything, whether you meant it to or not. It becomes a part of our very nature in the state of things. No matter what we do, we just can't seem to shake sin. No one's going to use glitter again now. That's what's going to happen. Uh, the state that our world is in, the state of things that we live in, things like death, sickness, dysfunction, sin is the cause of all of these. It gets into every aspect of life. Lying, objectifying, oppression, every kind of injustice you can think of, it's sin that is the cause of all of the unrest and issues of our world. Our human world is stuck in this state of sin, and you just can't get rid of it. Uh, in her book, No Cure for Being Human, Kate Bowler tells a story of, of uh, herself discovering she has colon cancer, 
and, and kind of the emotional, spiritual, physical journey she went on in this. She's a highly successful uh, history professor, Duke University, only 35 years old, discovers she has colon cancer and her whole world comes crashing in on her. And one of the big realizations she has in this book is that there's simply no cure for being human. She tries to figure it out, try and analyze it. She deciphers thousands of pages of medical records and tests and learns what to do with it. And she realizes what she's trying to do is figure it out. And if she figures it out and understands it, then she can be the master of it. But there's no cure for being human, she realizes. This is something that is uh, very prevalent in our day. We are realizing more and more, especially in Western culture, we're coming to terms uh, with the idea that we really don't have a lot of control, that things are not right, that humanity is broken and fractured. Medical, the medical field is trying its best to keep us going. There's now uh, boutique clinics that are not just trying to keep you from getting sick. They're, they're moving you into wellness. They're trying to move you kind of past health into uh, some kind of superior state of being, trying to move people towards living longer than ever, freezing their bodies ultimately through cryogenics or taking certain supplements that are supposed to help with some enzyme that keeps you living longer. They're, they're, people are worried about the fact that humanity seems to have an expiration date, in a sense, more and more. The therapeutic culture used to believe uh, that if you just find your true self, you'll be able to live a great life. But now even the therapeutic community is realizing that too much therapy is just too much therapy. And as good and helpful as therapy is, we're not anti-therapy. It's very helpful. We find that you just end up doing a lot of navel-gazing if you're stuck in it too much and you can't find a way out of being human. There's also a movement called transhumanism. If you've heard of transhumanism, this is a real thing. You can go look up the transhumanist uh, manifesto. Uh, they are people that actually re a really good understanding of how broken humanity is and that we actually need to move past being human in order to be uh, successful or to find human flourishing. And they call this time that we're in transhuman, meaning we're moving from being human to something beyond human. It, looks, it reads like a religious set of scriptures. Transhumanists are waiting for this moment when we're going to almost like evolve in a moment and things are going to change. And so they're really interested in how AI can be connected to technology that gets implanted into our bodies to enhance human humanity and all these different things. It's, it's kind of fascinating because when you get down to the core of it, they understand, like so many of these other people, Kate Bowler and others, that humanity seems to be fragile and broken, and we believe, or they believe, all of these different groups of people, that humanity needs something more. It needs to become something else. The scriptures describe this human brokenness that is all-pervasive and all-encompassing. The scriptures describe this as sin. This is what sin is. It is the totality of everything that is wrong with society. And the triune God that we talked about last week, the one who is perfect in love, God's uh, goodness between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit out of this mutual self-giving love that created everything, we learned that God made human beings very good. Yet because of our rebellion against God, that sin fractured what we were supposed to be. 
it fractured our communion with God. And now we live in the reality of not just being broken humans, but inhabiting a broken creation that doesn't quite work the way it was intended to. And so we have, though, this hope of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel that that the cross and the work of Jesus has saved us from this brokenness. And, And so... We see, but I, what I want to do this morning is help us just understand first the pervasiveness of sin, not so that you can all feel really terrible about yourselves, but so that we can realize just how good this good news of sanctification is for us and why it matters in the midst of that. So you're ready to dive in? I know you're really, it's a cold day. We're going to talk about sin. It's, it's fun times. Just think about it as glitter and it'll be easier for you. So let's, let's dive into this. First, I, I want to just talk about the issue of sin. Why is it so pervasive? Why is it so harmful? What's the deal with sin? Uh, we have to understand this if we're going to understand how good sanctification really is for us. Sin is a word in the Bible. It comes out of the Hebrew in the Old Testament. And it really describes this idea of missing the mark. Imagine you've got like a, you know, you're shooting archery or something or target practice and you can't hit that bullseye that you're intended to hit. That's what sin is. There is a purpose for creation, a target, a goal for it, something where it's got ultimate value and purpose and meaning, all of creation, including humans. And what sin does is it twists that purpose so we miss the mark. We miss its our ultimate purpose. So everything from when we act in sin, do like commit a sin, but we don't just mean sin that way. Everything to just, it's in our being, it's in all of creation. All of it kind of is showing ways in which we have missed the mark, missed our purpose. And it violates God's good created order for the universe. As we remember in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God kept saying all the stuff he made was good. It's good. It's good. And then he gets to humans and says, you are very good. And what sin does is it's not normal actually for us. It's an aberration. It's a twisting of what is really good. And it's not the way things are supposed to be. And so it harms us. It harms us. We're, we're stuck in uh, this space where we can't be who we were meant to be, and we can't get out of this situation on our own. And it's, it's almost uh, hereditary. Romans 5.12 describes it like this. Because of this, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, so also death spread to all people because all sinned. This is what transhumanists have recognized in their own words, like something's not working here. This isn't right. We need to become something more than human. It's separation from this loving life of the triune God. And it's far-reaching. It's pervasive in its totality, just like that glitter. It's not just set off in like one area. It, It encompasses everything, every human interaction, every war, every conflict, every bit of injustice, every bit of brokenness and dysfunction you've ever encountered in your life is because sin is deeply rooted in creation and has taken root. And the triune God wants to move this creation project forward, though, with his loving purposes. He doesn't want you to stay stuck in this space of sin and missing your 
purpose. I know it's like an easy, simple thing to say, but how many of you want to live the purpose that you were made for? Really? Like if if you're like, man, I feel like one of the things that our culture does really well is it teaches people you have a purpose. Like your life matters. Like there's something that you're meant to do and there's different ways and philosophies and lifestyles that try and express that. But ultimately, God, we believe, if we're following Jesus, we believe that God's created and intended every person, all of creation to have a purpose. But sin is always pulling us away from that ultimate purpose in all of its forms. So what is the work of God over sin? How does God conquer this, overcome this? So I want to be clear about one thing first. Um, There are sometimes it gets taught that humanity, therefore, because we have sinned and we've fallen, you are bad. And we need to change our language in the way we talk about that because what, what can happen when we follow that logic is like, well, I think God just has to like throw us out on the garbage heap and start all over, right? we got to go back to what creation says. God still says that you are very good. Now, some of you might not believe that about yourself right now, but God has already said you are very good. The issue is the sin that has twisted that goodness. And so God doesn't want to get rid of you. God wants to redeem you. God does this redemptive work in you and in the world through the cross of Jesus Christ. Everything comes back to the work that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. God God himself came. This is Jesus who said, God's like, I'm going to intervene and I'm going to step into this space and I myself will do the work of redeeming sin because I still love this world. The Trinitarian love forever Everything that God made is still so massive and just wants to share this love with all creation that God's like, I'm stepping onto the scene and I'm going to redeem this creation myself because I dearly love it. And so God does this redemptive work in Jesus and and this is accomplished in two ways. And I'm gonna throw these two theological words at you. So stick with me for a couple minutes if this isn't your cup of tea. But the first word is justification. Justification is this this word that describes our legal status changing. It's a guilt of any past sin and involvement in sin being completely removed. You're forgiven. This is what Romans 8.1 says. There is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. When you belong to Jesus, you follow Jesus, like it's done. There's no, there's no sin, that, there's no guilt on you anymore. It's, it's removed. Our legal standing is changed. The Greek word for, for justified or uh, right, set right, that's used in the New Testament, it was a legal word used by lawyers and in courts to say that, oh, this person does not have any fault. There's no fault connected with them at all. And this is what, uh, what Paul uses in Romans 5, 9 when he says, and since we have been made right, that's that word justified, in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. So we've been set right by God. And then not only that, we've been restored to right relationship with God. We can be with God. This is what 1 Peter 3.18 says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Listen to this. In order 
that he could bring you to God. So you've been justified. God is on this mission to bring you back to himself. So justification, in a sense, brings you back home. No separation. You're not far away anymore. You can come boldly before the throne of grace. You can be with God. There is no reason that you can be afraid. You can't be like, well, well you, know, you don't know what I did. Listen, the cross of Jesus is enough and you are brought home to God. He doesn't want to hear it. You are justified. You are not guilty. You are forgiven. You are home. That's justification. I mean, that's good news in and of itself. So we, we could just go home right there, right? But God's not done. Not only are you justified, the scriptures say that you are sanctified. You are going through a process of not just justification, but sanctification. See, here's the thing. Being justified before God is great, right? Your past sin is dealt with. You're not guilty before God anymore. But that doesn't deal with your nature. Because our natures are so filled and wrought with sin that we now have what's described in the Bible as the sinful nature. Right, you can't get rid of that glitter. It's not going anywhere. So God, and this is how I was thinking about it. I'm just gonna push this glitter analogy right off the cliff. God can forgive you for using the glitter, but the glitter's still everywhere. Does that make sense? Like, hey, you can be here. I don't mind if you're, but like, it's, it's a mess. That's is why we could say, yes, I am totally forgiven. I am also a mess. But this is the good news of what sanctification is. God says, it's not enough for you to just come back into my house. I am restoring and redeeming your nature to what it was always meant to be, to be holy like my nature. So that's what sanctification is. Remember from last week, it literally means to be holy. It's from that Latin word sanctus, which means holy to be sanctified, to be made holy. Remember last week we talked about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune God making home and a dwelling in every single person who follows Jesus. That was that John 14. My Father and I will come and make our home with them. The very holy, divine presence living in you. And that is where sanctification begins to happen. The holy presence of God in you begins to make you holy. Begins to change your nature from one that is full of the pervasiveness of sin to one that is full of the love, the life, the wholeness, the holiness of God. Remember, holiness is, is not a smug, holier-than-thou thing. We talked about that last week. Holiness is all goodness, all rightness, all justice, all love. Everything that is just flowing from who God is. And God gives that to you. God gives that to you. So God wants to transform your life from sin to holiness. God wants to transform your life from brokenness to wholeness. God wants to transform your life from, from death to life. It's not enough that you're home. God wants you completely transformed, changed. 
I want you to turn to someone next to you real quick. And I, and I want you to tell them, because I think you all need a reminder this morning. Tell them God wants you to move from sin to holiness. Go ahead. I know it's uncomfortable. Tell them. Like you believe it. Like you believe it. You're, the na- your neighbor is doubting right now for themselves. You need to remind them. Tell them this, ready? Let me rephrase that. Say, God wants to transform your life from sin to holiness. Tell them God wants to transform your life from brokenness to wholeness. You guys are like so like quiet and like nice about this when you say it. This is really good news. Tell them God wants to transform your life from death to life. You see, not only are all the past issues of sin dealt with, no longer does he remember your sin no more, but you have been brought into the very divine presence of God, and God wants to give you a completely new nature. So this is what happens. You're you're sanctified. Part of what that means is you're set apart. God is saying, you're over here in this different nature category now doesn't mean you separate yourselves from people or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. This is a, look at at who you are. Because remember, Jesus was completely holy and he spent time with everyone. See, holiness doesn't separate you from the people. It moves you to the people with love. It also doesn't just separate you from sin, though. It brings you into the purity of God. The wholeness of God, the holiness of God, the life of God becomes yours. And God is trying to do this so that you can share in his nature, become like him. This is why in 1 Peter 15, 16, we're, we're, we're brought into this. He says, now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy as I am holy. You're separated from sin, but you're, you're brought into purity, holiness unto God. Thomas McCall says God insists that there be no alien elements that might hinder that communion. If sin is the thing that twists and mars and gets in the way of your purpose, of who you really are created to be, McCall is saying what God wants to do is remove the stuff that is keeping you from this beautifully perfect relationship between you and God. That your very nature is just going to be like the Holy One. Sin is this alien element that's just hindering you from living the life that you were born for. And so this is what the will of God is. I love this. Earlier in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, in 4.3, it says this, God's will is for you to be holy. Another translation, God's will is for you to be sanctified. This is what God wants more than, if you're ever like, God, what do you want with me? This is what God wants with you. God wants you to be like him, to be holy just as he is holy, to share in the perfect love of the triune God, to allow the the very fiery presence of the Holy One that dwells in every believer to just invade your life to transform your life, to change your life, to bring life where there was death, to bring uh, wholeness where there was brokenness, and to bring holiness where there was sin. 
It's not just a nice add-on, you understand. To, to, to live this kind of life, I know you might be like, this is a little aspirational, right? Like this is just like something I aim for, but I'm not supposed to actually experience this. This isn't aspirational or a nice add-on or, or something that super Christians do or the thing you do to make sure God's not mad at you. This is just what God, who God is and what God wants from all of his creation, to be in perfect communion with him, in perfect harmony. And there can't be anything in the way of that. The triune God who is perfect love and goodness, that's holiness. He wants you to participate in that. That's what God wants. It's what you were made for. It's what you were born for. Now, you might say, okay, I am extremely overwhelmed by this, one. You might say, okay, great, that's a little too much, a little too aspirational. Maybe I'll do that once in a while, but this is ridiculous. Or maybe you say, I can't live up to those expectations. This is unrealistic. Some of you are sitting there making a list, my sanctification list. I need to do this, and then I need to do this. You list people, I know, I know you're out there. Trying to make a list to sanctify yourself. Here's the thing is, is God already knows you can't live up to these expectations. God knows that your list is not going to be good enough. God knows that because of the nature of sin, you can't help yourself. God knows you can't do it. That's why God has done it for you. God has done it for you, and he will do it, and he is doing it right now. So you're right to say you can't live up to it, because you can't. I can't, but he can. This is why we started last week, and this is so important. Whenever we start a conversation about sanctification, it must start with who God is. Because if it starts with who we are, oh, we're already in trouble. But when it starts with who God is, we get to walk into that. We get to receive it. We get to see the good news that his loving presence is living in us and wants to change us and transform us. And the question is, do you want to partner with him? Do you want to agree or do you want to resist? Do you want to let him do the work? Or do you want to ignore that he's trying to do the work? Here's how we can think about this. If this is helpful for you, especially those of you who might feel a little inundated or overwhelmed, like, how am I supposed to achieve this? See all the list people in the room trying to achieve something. I know, I do the same thing sometimes. But but here's how the scriptures talk about sanctification. Um, And and they talk about it in in three senses. One, very quickly, I'm going to cover these. You have been sanctified. The scriptures talk about the fact that you have already been completely sanctified, especially like the, the, the picture painted often is with baptism. You're buried in your sins. You're made new with Christ. Sin has no more hold on you, period, done, end of story. You have been sanctified. The scriptures also say, future tense, you will be sanctified. When Jesus returns, we will be like we have always been intended to be. John, 1 John 3, 2, uh, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. 
So we'll come into the fullness of our sanctification. So it's both completely done and it will be done. But then there's a third sense that it's talked about. And this is the sense that we've been seeing over and over in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's the sense, the present tense, that you are being sanctified right now as we speak. Right now. If you are following Jesus, you are currently, right now, being sanctified. You're not even thinking about it. When you go to sleep tonight, you are being sanctified. When you get up in the morning, you're being sanctified. When you uh, get cut off in traffic and you say a few things you might regret later, you're being sanctified. When you take that cheap shot at a loved one in an argument, you're still being sanctified. See, thank goodness it's not dependent on our holiness, but on his. And in our uh, denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, what we talk about with this being sanctified, we talk about it happening in two ways, both crisis and progressive moments of our sanctification, which means that progressive meaning you are always being sanctified day and night. God is doing this work of sanctification and you are just partnering through daily taking up your cross, following him, little everyday decisions that you don't think mean much. But have you ever looked back on your life like three years later, five years later, and like, wow, I am a different person in God than I was five years ago, right? And you're like, God's God's done something in me. It doesn't seem like it, but I can look back and say, that's your progressive sanctification. But there are also what's called crisis sanctification moments, moments in our lives, our history, our walk with God that we can look back on and saying, at that moment, everything changed. Definitive moments. And God is working in us in both of these ways to bring about our sanctification, that we would be holy like he is holy. And become loving and full of freedom and life and wholeness. Like his. How many of you have people in your life that are broken, hurting, the end of their rope, hopeless, don't know what to do? Three of you, okay. Some of you are not aware of what's happening in your world. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Just kidding. But, you know, you and I not to fix anyone or to save anyone, to be clear, but you and I need to become holy, not for our own sake, but because of the fact that people around us need a holy presence in their life just to be with them. And you are going to be that person that is able to be present and point to God being present in them in a way they don't realize because you're walking that journey. So what's the big deal? Should you care about sanctification? Don't give me the Sunday school answer and just be like, of course we should. Why should you care? Yes, for the other, like we just talked about, someone who might be in need and, and, and is like, man, I, I, you just being with me, it's just different. When you grow in holiness, sometimes people's first experience of what God is like is just talking to you. I'm not saying you're God, but you are participating in God's holiness because God is at work in you and living in you. And so that, that's one reason that that's a good reason, but why should you care? Here, here's, here's one of the big reasons I would give you is when, when you begin to live into this good news that God has not only provided for your justification, 
but he's provided for your sanctification, I think one of the biggest things that changes is you do not have to manage your sin anymore. What do I mean by that? Meaning, you don't have to hide the sin in your life. You don't need to act like it's not there. God knows it's there. Honestly, like everyone who's like a mature Christian knows you got issues. Because they've, they've got issues. Because they know they've got issues. I'm like, no one gets off without, without issues. We, we all have them. But sometimes we go, all right, I got to tell you something. I'm not trying to make light of experiences and things you're having in, in your life. But, but I mean, like, sometimes people are like, I got to tell you, I've never told anyone before. And then they tell them, and I'm like, okay. And they're like, what? Like, you see how bad this is? I can't be in church. God doesn't want me. And they're like, you already knew. I'm not surprised. I know now, but, but he's not surprised. And, and here's the thing is sometimes uh, what happens is because we have this bad theology around justification is we think, okay, great, he's brought me home, I'm forgiven, but I can't screw up now because then he's going to kick me out. This is why he's provided for our sanctification, not just our justification. God didn't bring you into the home just to say, now you better behave or I'll kick you out again. What was the point of his work on the cross if he's going to do that? So this is why I'm saying that you don't have to manage your sin anymore. The good news is you can be honest about your failures. You can be honest about the sin in your life. You don't have to be like, oh, shoot, I screwed up again. Okay, I can't tell anyone this, but I'm just going to promise I'm never going to do that again. And then you do that. How many times have you done that in your life? Hundreds? Maybe 10 this past week? But what, what this leads to, when we believe that God is for us and he wants to see us sanctified more than we do, we can live a life of confession. We don't have to manage the sin and hide the sin and just like, man, I just got to behave really well. And we can be honest. And in that confession of honesty and bringing things into the light, God just begins to transform us like you wouldn't believe. Some, one of my crisis sanctification moments that was really significant. Um, I think I've, sh- I've shared this before, but I, I grew up, uh, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in church. And, and man, I'll tell you, I learned how to manage my sin really well. I learned how to put up a good face when I was around my church friends. And then I didn't have to really, I, I was too scared to honestly be really rebellious. Let's be completely honest. But, but I knew like what I could do in some circles and not in other circles. You know what I'm talking about, right? I learned how to kind of manage my image in different places like we, we all do. And, and I didn't deal with d- tons of different things in my life. And honestly, some of it was because a lot of church cultures, unfortunately, don't have safe spaces for people to actually do the work of sanctification. They hear something's going on, it's like, "Mm, you're not one of us, you sinned. It's the exact opposite of what the definition of this group of people called the church is. You're here because you have sin, and you're saying, oh, thank God, he forgives me, now can I work towards holiness? And so I I dealt with a lot of sin management, and I was just not being honest, and and I would lie a lot, and I just, I I wanted people to like me, and so I'd, in certain groups, like, present myself differently. You know what I'm talking about. 
And so for me, one of the things that grabbed hold of me was pornography when I was about 10 years old. Uh, and it was a big issue in my life probably until like middle of my 20s. And, and, it was, and it was serious, and it was just like, man, i got to manage this. And then sometimes, you know, you, like, tell it to a group of, like, an accountability group. And I say accountability group because it's just a bunch of guys who are also struggling with it, and no one actually wants to deal with their issues. Um, I've been there. I've been there. And, and we're just trying to manage it and behave well and all this stuff. And then, um, and then what happens is, is uh, Jill and I met. We were going to get married. And, and, like, I shared that this is, like, a thing. And you know, I kind of, like, downplay it. It's not that big of an issue. Sometimes and I'm trying to, and this is for me, it's not everyone's issue, but this is what I was struggling with. And, and you know what happened is for the first year, year and a half, I forget the timetable exactly, I managed my sin really well. It was on top of it, no problems, one mistake. Gave in to that temptation. And no one found out I could have gone on, not told Jillian, I could have done the sin management thing. I could have been like, okay, I'm not gonna say anything. All right, from now on, we don't do that anymore. Ooh, just get rid of it. We're going to move on. But there would have been nothing transformative that would have happened. I would have just been hiding over something that God was like, what are you doing? Do you want to become holy or not? Now, my wife and I have a good relationship and a safe relationship that we could talk about this. And I have people in my life that I can bring this to. And so I remember the night I just told her. Here's what happened the other day. Two things happened. One, she was very angry at me. By the way, that happens sometimes when you confess sin. People are allowed to be angry. Don't try and be like, but I confess my sin. Why are you mad at me? It hurts. She cried a lot because it hurts. Then the second thing that happened, out of nowhere, I started crying. See, something grabbed a hold of me in that moment with this issue of sin that I had not grabbed a hold of me ever before. And, and the depth and how, of how pervasive this sin was actually grabbed a hold of me. It wasn't in, in just a sense of, oh, like you, you did a bad thing. I recognized a couple things, the gravity of what it meant to objectify humanity like that. What it meant to be flippant with the vows I'd made to my wife or to any other person, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Jesus says. The gravity of how much I hurt her entered into it and I was wrecked with sorrow and grief. And I like to say that I had a transformation through tears. And I can honestly say in the 10, 11 years since then, I can't really think of a significant moment where there was any kind of desire or pull to go back into that ever again. Not because I, and I don't even think about it. I don't even manage it really. Something changed in me. It was a crisis sanctification moment where God did something, but he did it because the Holy Spirit kept going like, you got to say something. You got to say something. And let me tell you, the Holy Spirit made me miserable until I said something. He's like, you got to say something. Like, I'm like, I didn't need to say it. No one was going to find out. I didn't hurt anyone. But I brought it into light. First John 1 John 1.7 says, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, here's the thing, folks. When the light shines across your dining room table, glitter always sparkles. 
I need therapy. (laughs) Stuff pops up. Sin pops up. Issues pop up. And, And the question is, is when the light of God, the light of God's presence is in your life, the normal thing that happens is stuff comes up. That's normal because God is at work in you. When, when sin issues come up, you should be, I know this is weird to think about, but you should be like, this is an opportunity to choose something different and walk into God's loving holiness. But we get scared. We go, oh, it's too late for me. What are people going to think of me? I can't, I can't share this. I could share this, but I can't share that. First John says it best. When things come in the light and we bring things into the light like God is in the light, it doesn't say we'll have fellowship with God. It actually says we'll have fellowship with each other. So many of us miss out on true, loving Christian community, experiencing God's love for us through others because we do not bring things into the light. God wants to bring you out of sin management into a beautiful, sanctifying work where you participate in his loving holiness like never before. So the question this morning is, will you be attentive and step into what he's inviting you into or will you resist? The choice is yours. There's no no guilt. No one's forcing you to do anything. You're all, for the most part, you're all adults in the room or almost adults. It's time to make a decision. It's time. So question as we prepare for communion. I know it's late, it's long. This was really important this morning. Question for us to reflect on for a moment before we take communion. What sin are you managing that you sense God is saying, it's time to bring that into the light? It's time. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.